ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 103, Psalm 103, where we'll be considering together, with the Lord's help, the first five verses, Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. This fallen world is a sea of sorrow. It is a land that is littered with losses. It is, as we so often hear, a veil of tears. We've seen this up close and personal in this, in the last few days, in the course of a few days, the death of a child, the death of an elder's wife, the death of Another dear friend, and for some of us, there's more than those three that we know. All of these losses were reminded of the depths, the difficulties, the darkness that uh, comes in this, in this world. And yet, in the midst of all of that, the Lord puts a song in the mouth of his people. In the night, in the dark. He puts a song. One could be tempted to to ask, you know, what benefit is there in this world of so much anguish, so much pain, so much sin and misery? What benefit is there? And it's in the Lord's song that we find the answer. Because for the redeemed, for the Lord's people, for those who stand in a state of grace, There are benefits. There are a multitude of benefits. And so David turns his heart to heaven and he begins to bless the Lord in in the words that we find in in this text. But David is one who himself had faced affliction. This isn't just a psalm that somehow is aside from from affliction. I mean, you, you see in verse 9, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He's felt that heat. You see in verses 15 and 16, for man is days or as grass as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. The wind passeth over and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And he's well acquainted with these things, as we know well from other psalms as well. But this dark road can't remove the light of grace. And so he blesses the Lord. He blesses the Lord, as we'll see. Because amidst all of the sorrows, amidst all of the losses, amidst all of the tears of which we've spoken, Christ can never be taken away. Christ can never be taken away. And so the godly bless the Lord. Job faced one catastrophic event after another in quick succession. And his response was to fall down and worship. 
to acknowledge that the Lord is God and that he is good and that though he slay us, we will, we will bless him. This blessing, the Lord, of course, glorifies him. It exalts him. It lifts up high the Lord himself. And so this is a mark that distinguishes the believer from the unbeliever. This blessing the Lord for being the Lord. Right? The, the unconverted, the unbelieving, one of the characteristics that's given in Romans chapter 1 are those words, and were not thankful, and are not thankful. Right? There's, there's not thankfulness there. And at times, of course, it's lacking among the redeemed as well. We also are not thankful. We, like the ten lepers, or like the nine, can go away uh, at times without giving the glory to the Lord that is, that is due uh, to him. And so we look at the, in these verses, we look at the believer's response to the Lord himself and the believer's response to the redemption that the Lord brings. The response is to bless him. We're going to note three things this evening from these, these verses. First of all, there is the resolution to bless the Lord. The resolution to bless the Lord. It's true that blessing the Lord in the life of the believer is not infrequently spontaneous. But there's also behind that, in the heart of the Christian, a resolve, a determination, a commitment, a decision to bless the Lord. The believer is committed, if you will, to blessing the Lord. And you'll notice here that David is actually talking to himself. Right? Part of the whole concept of, of resolution comes out in that fact that he's speaking to himself. You know, there, there are some who are very good at talking, right? There are those who are talkers, those who are not so much talkers. But there are some that are good at talking to others. And they can, they can you know, talk the legs off of, the hind legs off of a mule, as we say. But simultaneously, not be good at talking to themselves. Those are two different things. And here it is speaking to ourselves. None of us are protected from the dullness of our own hearts without watchfulness, without standing guard in keeping our hearts. Our hearts tend toward dullness. And so David is coming to stir up himself, you know, to see in the language of, of the catechism, larger catechism, this stirring up of the graces that are, are within us, to, to shake off, if you will, apathy and gloom, and to thank God. We come into the house of God, we come into the courts of heaven and into the Lord's own presence this is something that we bring with us, right? We, we come not merely out of habit. We come not only out of routine, though those habits are important and that routine is indispensable. But we come with a determination to worship. We come to behold God. We come to give glory to God, to bless him, to see 
our memories engaged in all that he's revealed to us and through those memories to see our affections kindled in love and love toward him. And so he speaks to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Again in verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's telling oneself, setting one's own soul in order, commanding oneself to be about the things that we must be about. But it's not just that. He says, second part of verse 1, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. All that is within me. So, not merely touching or, or, or merely glancing, but actually all of our faculties, all of our capacities are to be employed in the task of glorifying him, of magnifying him, of worshiping him, of blessing his, his name. Half-hearted praise is repugnant. No, the Lord wants everything within us to be captivated with the sight of him, the thought of him, and, and the praise of him. It's easy to praise the Lord with part of us. So the most obvious example is to praise the Lord with our mouth, with our tongue. That's not, that's not difficult. Right? We can pick up the Psalter and we can read over the words and we can sing them. And the fact is that you can sing them with your mind shut. You can sing the words absentmindedly. Every word, syllable, letters being pronounced, audibly even. Shut the book and not know what you've just sung. Not having engaged the mind, thought, sung with understanding, sung with godly fear, sung with faith. You can do so without the heart without the felt sense of what these truths are, of actually adoring the Lord in the words that we're singing. He says, all that is within me. The sense of God's blessing is to be felt. God is to be enjoyed. We recognize that there's a difference between faith and feelings. This is an important point that we've all been made acquainted with. And pastorally is significant. There are plenty of times when, when, when feelings can be low and faith can be high. It's important to know that, that we're exercising faith, even in the loss of feelings at times. But that is never to say that feelings are irrelevant. That we should be content with, without feeling. No, we desire a felt Christ. We desire the experience of the sight of, of Christ. So he says, all that is within me. You'll notice how Christ-centered this is. Bless what? Bless the Lord. Bless Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D. Right? He is the object of praise. It's Christ that is the object of praise. And this is why the believers have a song in their mouth, even when it is a song in the night watches, even when it is a song in the valleys, even when it's a song in the midst of the tempestuous storms. Because the object of praise is the Lord himself, not our circumstances. Again, it is relatively easy to thank the Lord 
for, for, for stuff, right? For what should be thought of as the little things, not the big things. So thanking the Lord for anything temporal, those are the little things. That should be relatively, we're happy that we have these temporal things and, and all that they bring to us. That's not that difficult. We need to be thanking him for the big things, which includes the spiritual things. But most of all, we need to be thankful for himself. Thankful for the Lord himself. You can't be much with the Lord, with the Savior, without blessing him. And so there's something Christ-centered here. You think of, you know, an abused wife and the way that her whole haggard and downtrodden countenance, right? It's a disgrace to her husband. It should be a disgrace to her husband. The Christian's husband is Christ. And for us, we can bring disgrace to our heavenly husband in our inability, in our unwillingness to bless him. Is he not good enough for me, for you? Has he treated us so badly, not provided our needs? Has he been dissatisfying? Is it ever right for us to rail against him? The answer, of course, is never, ever, ever. And so we can bless him for who he is. We can bless him for all of the glory that is due to his name. And that's where we must begin. This is the heart of the matter. This is the core. This is the foundation of everything. But it doesn't stop there, does it? We bless the Lord for who he is. But it also says, all that is within me, bless his name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, we're also blessing him because he has dealt bountifully with us. If we are a Christian, he has dealt bountifully with us. And those, those, those benefits must be remembered. We're not to forget them. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is in Christ. It's all in Christ. Right? All of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places are to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we're, we're not to be ignorant of these things, nor are we to be allowing these things to slip. As I've said on other occasions, forgetfulness in the scripture is never an accident. We, we, we think to ourselves, oh, well, I forgot. You know, I, I forgot my keys at home, or I forgot this, or I forgot that. But when the Bible's talking about forgetfulness, when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to his things, it's not passive, it's not unintentional, it's not excusable. Forgetfulness is a sin. Remembering is a command, is a duty. Remember the Sabbath day. Do the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? This is a commandment for us. We don't, we don't say to our children, you know, Johnny, go clean up your room. And then come back sometime later and, and look, and the room's a complete disaster zone. And Johnny says, oh, I forgot. That's never acceptable. You're responsible to remember. You've disobeyed. 
And yet we give ourselves a free pass. You think of how often, I've said it many times before, this is the second most mentioned sin in the Old Testament. The first is idolatry. The second most frequently mentioned sin is forgetfulness. Jeremiah 2 verse 32, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride or attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why? Why is it that we forget? The first reason is pride. Go read Deuteronomy 8. The Lord says, I'm going to bring you into the land. I'm going to give you all these things. You're going to have all this bounty. And he warns them. He says, don't allow your heart to be lifted up. And thou shalt forget me. Right? He repeats it. He says, you're going to be forgetful of, of me. He's, he's warning them. You see the same thing in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 25. Pride to feel full of ourselves, to feel satisfied with ourselves, to be, yeah, focused on, on, on the things that, that we have and are and do and, and so on and so forth. The fact is that thank, blessing the Lord, thankfulness produces humility. Thankfulness mortifies pride. When you, when you say thank you to someone else, you're expressing humility. You're saying, I'm indebted. Uh, you've done something. I'm, I'm returning gratitude for, for something that you've done that I don't deserve, right? There's, there's an element of humility. And the fact that those who are so incredibly infrequent in their ability to say thank you, which for most of us raised, you know, we're taught this is, this is, <laughs> this is basic decorum, right? This is your manners to say, to say thank you. We know that. And yet, that, that reluctance to say thank, thank you is pride, right? It's, it's a proud heart. So pride is one of the things that we forget, is one of the reasons, the scripture says, we forget the Lord's benefits. Another one is selfishness, which is very closely related to, to pride, right? Pride says me best. Uh, selfishness says me first. They're related, focusing on ourselves, our own rights, our own desires, our own wants, our own needs, our own, you fill in the blank. Selfishness. We can magnify our trials and not magnify our mercies. We can magnify our trials and minimize our mercies. Here is David and he's coming and he is magnifying the mercies, as you'll see. He's magnifying the mercies. We're to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5. And so there's a resolution, a resolution to bless the Lord, to bless the Lord for being the Lord, to bless the Lord because he has dealt so bountifully with us. But then, secondly then, let's look specifically at the reasons the detailed reasons for blessing the Lord. He gives us five reasons in these verses, five reasons. In essence, David is speaking to himself and he's saying, remember, you know, acquaint yourself with all of the royalties that are to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring to the fore of your mind all of the fullness that is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is another way as as I was saying before I left, left for the trip, this is another way of saying, set your mind on what is invisible. 
see the unseen. Look at what's invisible. There are five things here. The first is that the Lord forgives all your iniquities. Verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. In verse 12, we're told in verse 11, as high as, as, as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Right? The Lord forgives the iniquities of, of his people. I mean, this is, this is one of the earliest experiences that a newly converted person has. Even when they're at the very beginning of saving grace, to become aware of the fact that they are that they've come and laid hold of the Savior by faith. It is the recognition at the beginning of saving grace. My sins are forgiven. My guilt has been pardoned. The stains have been washed away. And blessing the Lord follows. For the newly converted person, they're praising God for the fact that he has forgiven their sins. Pardoning grace, right? This is pardoning grace is a choice blessing from the Lord. You know, it's like it's like Christian and Pilgrim's progress. You have this enormous weight. The Lord comes and he works by his spirit. And he makes the sinner aware of the weight of sin. To see all of the, the evil of at least some of the evil of, of their own hearts, that load that is heavy upon their backs. And then that burden is rolled off. The foot of the cross. And now there's a, a skip in the step. Now there's a lightness. Now there's, now there's an ability to go onward as a result of of this, forgive, of this forgiveness. You know, this, being acquainted with this, makes dealing with other trials so much easier. I mean, if you're dead in trespasses and sin, if you're loaded with the guilt of sin, if you're living under the wrath of God this evening, then whatever trials come, they only are accentuated. They're only intensified. By everything else. But for the believer. The believer can say. Yes I have this loss. And I have that loss. And I have this sorrow. And I have this disappointment. And I have this trial. And I have this burden. And we have all these other things. But I am not in hell. Nor am I destined there. And all of that sin which separated me from God. Has been removed. Hallelujah. Let the Lord's name be praised. I'm a pardoned sinner. I've been reconciled to the God of glory. The greatest misery in the world is our sin. And for the believer, that sin is forgiven. Not just the big ones that have brought so many devastating consequences with them. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. All of them. First to last. Top to bottom. 
all of the iniquities forgiven by him. And as Jesus tells us, he who is forgiven much loves much. Having been forgiven by the Lord, we love him and we want to bless him. Second thing, the Lord heals all our diseases. Who healeth all thy diseases. Second part of verse 3. Who healeth all thy diseases, right? The sin, sin that is brought into the world at the fall brings with it devastation, right? The death of the soul, the death of the body, the corruption of the soul, the sickness of the body, both body and soul impacted by the presence of sin in this world. But when sin is eradicated, misery is eradicated. And when sin is removed, then both that which afflicts the body and the soul is also removed. That's true of our, our bodies. So for, for the body, even in, even in this world, even in this life, the Lord is pleased to alleviate sicknesses. The Lord is pleased to grant healing. But ultimately, this is pointing us to the eradication of all sickness. All the brokenness of the body, of the mind, all of the, the afflictions of disease, and all of the other torments that come with that. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save the whole man, the whole Christian. We speak about saving souls, and that's true. The Bible uses souls sometimes in reference to the whole person, right? It's, it's, it's a... It's a um, it's a grammatical flourish. We use part to refer to the whole. But in distinguishing the soul and body, the Lord came to save the whole package. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the eternal son, assumed to himself a human nature, he, re, he assumed to himself the whole human nature, human body and human soul. Because as Gregory Nazianzus, the, one of the patristic fathers, Cappadocian fathers of the fifth century said, Whatever is not assumed is not healed. If he didn't have a human body, then he couldn't save the bodies of the Lord's people. And so the Lord gives to us in that redemption, which is seen at the resurrection, which is seen at the last day when the body is reconstituted and raised from the dead and then glorified in his, his presence, we see the removal of all of these maladies and sicknesses and so on. But it's true of the soul as well. The spiritual diseases, as we, as we say, of the soul, how diverse they are. From one person to another, how complex they are. How, how, how difficult they are. Right? Sin destroys. Sin is devastating in our relationship with the Lord himself. The Lord says, no, here is the one who healeth all thy diseases, all their shapes and sizes, all their forms. He heals them all. You've been forgiven. But Christ is also the great physician to heal by the spirit, both body and soul. Thirdly, we see that the Lord, verse 4, who redeemeth thy life from destruction who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Look at verse 10. 
He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. If he had, what would that mean? If he dealt with us after our sins, rewarded us according to our iniquities, it would be absolute destruction. But here we're told, no, who redeemeth thy life from, from, from destruction. I mean, that, that's true physically even. So in this life, how often we're spared. The Lord recovers us from disease. He recovers us from sickness. It, it doesn't sweep us out of this world. We have near-death experiences and accidents that happen and other things where we could have easily, as many others, countless thousands, been taken out of this world. And the Lord says no to those who are marked out to die. God commands and he says live. And he preserves us and he keeps us and every day is a gift from him. Though any day may be our last. Ultimately, he delivers us body and soul from eternal destruction. We are resurrected to eternal life. This comes out at the end of Psalm 16. It comes out in Psalm 49 and in so many other places where the Lord delivers us from these things. He may deliver our body now. He will deliver both body and soul on the final day. You think, okay, easy enough, clear enough. But is it significant enough for us? I mean, do we take seriously enough all that the Bible describes about that eternal destruction, about hell, about the unending torment of the body, about the incomprehensible torment of the soul, about the increasing degrees of everlasting torment, and the fact that there's no relief? You get a migraine but it's never permanent. You get sick, but you recover. You break a bone, but it heals. You have sorrows. And yet in time, the Lord relieves some of that burden. In hell, there is no reprieve ever. We have to be sensible of that payment of sin in order to estimate the glory of being delivered from it. To be able to say, who redeemeth my life from destruction. That is a song to be sung in the night and in the difficult times of this world. Delivered from destruction. For those of you who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not a song you can sing meaningfully because you are under the wrath of God as we sit here together this evening and left in your unbelief and defiance and disobedience and ingratitude you will reap in ways we can't comprehend what I have merely alluded to there's the need Oh, that God would set you to seeking the Savior. That you would not only mouth these words, but know these words. To be able to say, 
in, in the fullness of God's grace, who hath redeemed my life from destruction. Fourth thing, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Lord crowns his people with loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in, in mercy. Verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. The Lord crowns his people. It's not just that he gives a token mercy here and a token mercy there. It's not just that you have a little spat of mercies or a season of mercy. But the Lord is saying he crowns you with mercies, right? He is constantly encircling you with mercies. The Lord engulfs you with love and mercy so that the love of God is constantly being shed abroad in the hearts of his people. The mercies of the Lord are constantly being poured into the cup of the Lord's people that they drink from, even in our trials. Even in those, those things of which we cannot speak. The things that are hidden. The things that are secret. The things that we couldn't speak about if we wanted to speak about. And we don't. The burdens. The pains. The anguish. That we face inside. Even there. The Lord is crowning his people with loving kindness, crowning them with mercy. Verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Fifthly, the Lord satisfies us, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. Who satisfieth our mouth with good things. This is the fifth thing. A multitude of things leading us to praise him. Physically and spiritually loading us with, with blessings. I mean, it is, at least as Protestants, it's our, it's our habit. We pray before every meal. We pray, we pray before our meals. Because we know even this Little thing, one single meal, however plain it may be and simple it may be, is yet another reason to bless the Lord. It's true of everything, right? The Lord, the Lord makes us satisfied. He gives contentment to us. We, we not only have things, but he, he gives satisfaction in those things. He's given to us a spiritual banquet. He's given to us a perpetual feast. And he says, come, eat, dine, feed, drink deeply. All of the care that the Lord gives and the provisions that he gives and all of the blessings that he gives in order to satisfy us with the best things. Thirdly, hastening on here. Thirdly and lastly, we're renewed. The renewal of our strength, verse 5. The end of verse 5, the renewal of our strength. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. 
You know, what is, what is true of, of, of really, what is, the tr- what is true of these words is true, not just of verse 5. You know, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. But thy youth is renewed like, a, like the eagles as a result of all five of the things that we've seen given to all five of the benefits that are enumerated here. Right? The Lord is infusing new life into his people. How? Through a sense of God's love. Through a sense of his kindness. Right? The inner man is being renewed by God's grace through his Holy Spirit. That, that language comes in the midst of what Paul says are afflictions. The outward man is perishing, he says. But the Lord is bringing about the renewal of the inner man day by day through his, his spirit. And the result of that for us as persons, whole persons, the result of that is that we're renewed. Our, our youth is renewed like the eagles, where the language, of, I'm sure, immediately comes to your mind like it does to mine. The end of Isaiah 40. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Right? There's a a buoyancy. There's a, a spiritual tireless strength that the Lord imparts to the souls of his people. So that as we swim through this sea of sorrow and we walk through this land that is littered with losses and we, we live inside the world that is a veil of, of tears, the Lord is yet imparting the renewal of life in the souls of his people, a spiritual buoyancy so that we can sing and we can bless him even in the midst of our, our great difficulties. I mean, you, you see this in the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is the man of sorrows, right? You should think of that in terms of the man of sorrows, the quintessential man of sorrows, the man of sorrows like no other, acquainted with grief and so on. And yet even in the face of the cross, we're told, for the joy that was set before him. He tells his disciples, my joy, he had joy, shall be in you. You will have my joy. Here is the Lord. Paul says, yeah, we have a season of trial through, or Peter rather, through much Uh, Many fierce and difficult afflictions. And yet he says, we're able to see and love him. Or rather, we're able to love him whom we haven't seen. He speaks of the joy that that comes from that. The water of tears are turned into wine. Right? The The Lord is tightening us at times. Like we might tighten the strings on a violin, doesn't break the strings. It tunes them. The Lord is tuning us in his mercy.
And so we, we think to ourselves, well, we're blessed the Lord, but trials, what about these, these trials? You know, we, 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 we want to make space to, for, for murmuring and, and so on and so forth instead of blessing the Lord. But sin and murmuring is a curse. Blessing the Lord is renewal. It produces renewal. It increases blessing him. The resolution to bless him increases our love for Christ. When we, tell, when we talk to God about God, when we tell Christ all that he is and all of the reasons that we glorify him, all of the reasons for which we, we praise and adore him, that act itself actually increases our love for him. It motivates our service to him and our desire to run in the path of duty. It increases the joy of the Lord in us, which is our strength. It produces within us humility. It mortifies sin. It enables us to maintain our communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And most importantly, it brings glory to him. Our chief end, when we bless him, we're bringing glory to him. So we need to take heart that there is a renewal of strength. A renewal of strength in blessing, blessing the Lord. For those of you who are unconverted, all of this is being held out to you in Christ Jesus. It's being held out to you. The Lord is coming and he's saying, take a look at my gospel. Take a look at my son. See him. See who he is. See why he's worthy of praise. See what he does. You're being told in the gospel what the Lord Jesus Christ does. And thereby who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Can you see anything of its drawing power? Do you feel any of the tug of the drawing power of the gospel? Of Christ coming to cleanse sinners, to redeem sinners, to reconcile sinners, to, to bring sinners into saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for time and eternity, body and soul, the whole person. Do you see it? It belongs to all those who come by faith and repentance to lay hold of him. For those of you who are indeed converted, there's conviction in this psalm, of course. Every word of the scripture brings with it conviction along with other things. We are, our, our lack of blessing, our lack of praising the Lord is utterly inexcusable. We ought to be convicted for not blessing the Lord. But on the other side, we need to repent. We need to confess that sin before the Lord. We need to repent of it. But we need to ask ourselves questions. Because what you find joy in is determined by what you can live without. And that hurts. It hurts to think about pushes every one of us to the edge. Too often we're seeking joy in the wrong places because we're not seeking it where God has promised it. 
It's fruitless joys that we so often seek after. But even in our trials, they can't take away Christ and they can't take away the gospel. And as long as we have Christ and as long as we have the gospel, we have abundant cause to bless the Lord. Abundant cause to bless the Lord. We need to acquaint ourselves more with the royalties of the Lord Jesus Christ, with all of the displays of his infinite love that are shown to us. And that will set us to setting our souls in order, to speaking to our own selves. Soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Don't do it. Don't forget all his benefits. Keep them fresh. Keep them before you. And so we go on blessing the Lord. Let's stand for prayer. Almighty God in heaven, we do bless thy holy name who art worthy of all the praise that we could ever muster, all the praise that the unfallen angels give, all the praise of land and sea, stars and sun, the entire created order. O oh Lord, thou art worthy of all of this and more. And so we bless the Lord we are thankful for the gospel and for all of the benefits, a few of which we have reflected upon this evening. Give us grace, O Lord, to see them. Give us grace to adore thee for them. For we ask it in Jesus' name.